You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Noel Herhusky Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Thursday, October 14th, 2021. Later in the program, we have the October edition of Civic Conversations, a podcast collaboration between WFHB and the League of Women Voters of Bloomington and Monroe County. Our guests today are Simone Smith, the winning contestant in the League of Women Voters Brown County Essay Contest on Redistricting, and Sherry Frank, the president of the League of Women Voters of Brown County. More in today's feature report. But first, your State House Roundup. From WFHB, this is the Statehouse Roundup for Thursday, October 14th, 2021. I'm Benedict Jones. Indiana's vaccination rate fell to its lowest level since becoming available last winter, according to a report by the Associated Press. The State Department of Health reported about 6,000 shots per day last week. That's about half of the shots given last month. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Indiana ranks the 14th lowest in the nation when it comes to vaccination rates. Meanwhile, Governor Eric Holcomb has not held a COVID-19 news briefing since March of this year after announcing that the mask mandate would no longer be in effect. Former First Lady of Indiana Susan Bai was memorialized last weekend after COVID-19 caused delays for a proper memorial service. Bai died of cancer at 61 years old in February. She was the first lady for eight years, while her husband, Evan Bayh, served as governor. Bayh, a Democrat, became governor in 1989, and he served two terms in the office. Those in attendance at the memorial included Governor Eric Holcomb, Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogsett, former Senator Joe Donnelly, and the current and former first ladies, Janet Holcomb, Karen Pence, and Sherry Daniels. Evan Bayh said at the memorial, quote, In a world with too much cynicism and apathy, she was the antithesis of both, end quote. State Senator Karen Tallian, a Democrat who represents a district in northwest Indiana, announced that she will retire. In the coming months, Democrats will decide Tallian's replacement. According to analysis by the Indy Star, when it comes to the process of filling vacant seats, more than a fifth of lawmakers at the Statehouse were initially caucused by party officials, known as precinct committee people. Indy Star analysis shows that this practice is used widely on the local level as well. Oftentimes, these precinct committee people or PCs are not elected officials. The breakdown shows that in the 2020 Republican elections for PCs, only 143 of the 600 precincts had candidates. And in the 2018 Democratic election, only 279 of the 600 precincts had candidates. That means that the rest of the seats are filled by the county party chair, giving that person a disproportionate amount of political power. It's worth noting that neither party will disclose who these PCs are. That's all for the State House Roundup. For WFHB News, I'm Benedict Jones. On 
October 8th, the Monroe County Bloomington Metropolitan Planning Organization Policy Committee discussed traffic planning near the new IU Health Hospital. Senior Transportation Planner Patrick Martin explained that IU Health had a traffic study done and INDOT approved their plans. However, committee member Sarah Ryderband expressed concern over the lack of collaboration between the planning committee and INDOT. She said INDOT often plans four years in advance and doesn't take the changes that are happening locally into consideration. You know, what we've been talking about along tents for a long time now, unfortunately, INDOT does not look necessarily at what our plan commissions approve, and they can't anticipate where the city or the county are going to approve new development and allowing large scale development that may then clog the roadways. So there's a, there's a disconnect between INDOT and their road studies and what our local public authorities allow in terms of development. INDOT representative Chris Wellman said that INDOT is a big organization and Bloomington is just one of its cities. We are in development uh, in creating a, an additional turn line there from the bypass to, to Pete Ellis. Um, and that was, I think, was on the um, amendment that just was proposed last month. Right. But, but this is all happening very piecemeal and people don't want it happening piecemeal. We want the, we don't want things, three different projects in that area I, because it's going to disrupt things three different times. I don't either, but the, the fact <laughs> remains sure. that there are, uh, we do have fiscal constraints. We have funding constraints. We can't fund everything all at once all the time. And so that's something that Balancing Act we're always working with because, um, you know, Bloomington is very important, but it's one piece of the state and we've got to take care of our assets all around the state. Committee member Steve Volan reiterated the concerns of the committee and said that local concerns should still be taken into account. Mr. Wellman, I think what you're hearing here is sort of an expression of frustration at the INDOT process in general. Uh, you know, the uh, the hospital basically only had to appeal to INDOT to get its access to its new location. Uh, and what you're hearing is a concern that there is far less connectivity uh, to the new hospital than there was to the old one. There's literally only one entrance and exit to the hospital for the public, which is already a concern on, say, game days or other times of uh, heavy traffic. And this is now our major healthcare outlet. And, uh, you know, the INDOT did not have an obligation to ensure that uh, the hospital had at least a second means of access for the public to, to get to it. Uh, I think that I and several other members of the MPO here are the duly elected representatives of the entities that you say, you know, need to uh, uh, to listen to INDOT more. But I'm hearing an echo, by the way. I'm not sure who's got their, uh, can we have uh, people muted? I, I don't know what's going on. But um, I think what you're hearing is like we are, uh, you know, there is a power I think the MPO has, and that is to not approve tips uh, that would enable federal funding to flow unless INDOT is, you know, more serious about uh, taking local concerns into account. Committee member Kent McDaniel commented as a resident near the intersection 
that the road needs work and will require more work with the influx of hospital traffic. I, I live on the east side. I could walk from here to the Pete Ellis uh, State Road 45 intersection, and that intersection is a mess. It always has been, and it's going to get a lot worse when you get more traffic. We keep talking about, you know, IU Health says there's one entrance. Well, there are two. There already are two. Uh, you can enter from the bypass or you can enter from Pete Ellis. Uh, and you can do it right now. So it, it will be a heavily traveled corridor. Um, and then the other intersection is the one at the State Road 4546 bypass where it intersects with East 10th Street or State Road 45. And if you're coming from the north, there are two lanes to turn left. As soon as you turn the corner, there's one lane. So it's designed to create conflict. And to me, those are two. It's State Road 4546, State Road 45 East. That's within the realm of, of NDOT. And so I think somebody's got to do something about fixing that because it's just going to get worse. And I do think that should be something that the MPO Policy Committee has something to say about. IU Health Bloomington Hospital is scheduled to open to the public in December. The next meeting will be held on November 5th. At the Ellettsville Town Council meeting on October 12th, council members discussed the acquisition of a road leading to the fire station at 5080 West State Road 46. Council President Scott Oldham explained further. This is the drive next to the fire station that is now being um, for want of a better word, and perhaps, well, the fire chief can help. Some of the um, drive there is actually being dedicated to the town, so it becomes part of um, our inventory, as it were. Fire Chief Mike Corman told the history of the road's ownership and reiterated why it is being directed to the town. Some of the road was actually um, on what well, was deeded to be the uh, fire station property. So basically, it's uh, the property still belongs to the Ellettsville Building Department with the bond issue. So uh, they're deeding the uh, right-of-way for the road from the building department, I'm sorry, the building corporation for the fire station over to the town of Ellettsville. The next town council meeting will be on October 25th. Now it's time for Civic Conversations, a podcast collaboration between WFHB and the League of Women Voters of Bloomington and Monroe County. In today's podcast, host Jim Allison speaks with Simone Smith, the winning contestant in the League of Women Voters Brown County's essay contest on redistricting, and Sherry Frank, the president of the League of Women Voters of Brown County. Jim Allison has more. You are listening to Civic Conversations, a podcast collaboration between the League of Women Voters, Bloomington, Monroe County, and WFHB. I'm Jim Allison, your host, and Becky Hill is our producer. We're very pleased to say that you can find Civic Conversations every month on WFHB 
at 93.1 and 98.1 FM. Today, we welcome two residents of Brown County to talk about their roles in a school essay contest about redistricting. They are Sherry Frank of the Brown County League of Women Voters and Simone Smith, the winning contestant. Thanks both of you for being here today. Sherry, let's start with you, Sherry. How exactly did this contest come about and what did it involve? Oh, thank you, Jim and Becky, for the opportunity to speak. Um, not to be cliche, but the league definitely sees the kids as our future, and we're always looking for ways to connect. We've been so amazed with the work that we've seen of the students. Um, there's a student equity group formed to lead the way for administrators to help end bullying and change policies and be more inclusive and improve equity, and they, and they understand how important voting is. And since 2021 is the year for redistricting, offering an essay contest on the topic seemed like one way to get students' thoughts on this important issue. This is our first essay contest, and we hope to make it an annual event. We offered it at both the junior high and the high school level. Um, teacher Michael Potts helped create the prompt which, is, which was, uh, does the current redistricting in your state reflect democratic principles, why or why not? And about 18 students submitted essays. All right, uh, so Sherry, do you think today's students are really into such things as civic engagement and responsible citizenship? Oh, definitely. The, some of the responses that we got in the essays were um, good examples of this. As a small county in uh, Brown County decided we better judge our essays anonymously. And the judges really had a tough time picking the best. And in fact, we had a tie for second place. But the awareness of the issues was evident. The essays echoed the thoughts that were brought up in testimony to the state legislator, legislature advocating for fair maps, such as the process of redistricting has become less about balancing out the district population and more about drowning out the minority party. Another one was uh, when redistricting divides communities, then community interests aren't represented. Re uh, excuse me, represented. So yeah, we were definitely impressed with the awareness of the students. All right, uh, turning now to Simone Smith. Simone, tell us, how did you do the research for your essay? Had your homeschooling already touched a bit on gerrymandering? And did you have any big surprises during your research? Yeah, so I started my research as someone who knew basically nothing about the topic. And while I'd heard the term, I wasn't really familiar with gerrymandering in any way. One thing that especially surprised me was how much of an effect this really has on people like you and me. It seems just like a faraway thing that doesn't really matter in practical everyday life. But this process of picking and choosing your voters really just flies in the face of democratic process. All right. So based on your experience, uh, with this whole thing, how now do you think we should handle gerrymandering here in Indiana? Yeah, so I think that gerrymandering can definitely be prevented, and I personally would suggest 
forming a council of citizens of Indiana. And if we could select citizens from all over who have no personal stake in the matter, they could work together. They could vote on the best, the best like map of the district and draw up districts that would be fair and they have nothing to gain from like skewing them in any way. I think that would be a fair way to prevent gerrymandering. Fair enough. Now I've read your essay, Simone. And from that essay, I know that you think that citizens are sovereign in our kind of government. That is, the people are supposed to rule. Now, if that's so, what are their specific responsibilities? Is it enough, for example, just to come out and vote? Is that sufficient? So I would personally say that citizens have a duty to do more than just voting. While voting is definitely important, I think everyone should at least do their own research on candidates and issues so they can form their own opinions. Overall, I think everyone has a responsibility to be involved in keeping our society free and defending our rights. We really need to educate ourselves on the legislative process and speak up on issues that really matter to us. So I would say you should do more than just vote. All right. Now let's focus on you again. Simone, you will very soon now be old enough to vote. I'm sure you've thought about this. Do you think that you and your age mates are really ready for this? Yeah, so overall, I would personally say that most of my generation, I don't feel like is really ready to vote. And the reason I say this is that, of course, there's exceptions. I feel like my generation relies heavily on the public opinion and like what everybody else is thinking. And I believe that in order to be ready to vote, you should do your own research so you can formulate your own opinions and do what you believe is best for the country, rather than just going along with what has been presented to you as like the right choice. Well, you sound to me like a very responsible citizen already. And that's very encouraging. But Turning to another question, what do you think then is the best way for your generation to influence government policy and government action? Yeah, so I, I believe that people of my age can influence government policy. Of course, maybe not to quite the same extent as people with more resources available, but I think we can find a lot of opportunities to get involved. For example, volunteering for certain campaigns, visiting the Capitol, and participating in rallies, the things that we care about. I believe those are all great ways that people of my age range can get involved in government policy. All right. Now, I'm perfectly willing to admit that my very own generation could have done a lot better than it did. So what have you learned? I hope you've learned something from our not-so-great example. What would that be? One thing I think I may have learned from the past generation that I would like to change is the struggle of two very polarized political parties against each other. I personally believe we need more bipartisan policy. Our political system is becoming too polarized to the extent that it impedes, in some cases, impedes legislative process. I believe we should be working together to achieve a common goal, not slandering one another's opinions. And 
I think one way that my generation could help eliminate polarization between political parties is making an effort to see the other side of the story. Of course, even if you don't agree with it, that's okay. But if you can see where they're coming from, I believe that would help the polarization issue. I see. Now, Simone Smith, finally, what are you up to personally now yourself in the way of civic involvement? Can you tell us something about that? So I'm currently enrolled in a policy debate league. And through this debate league, we argue as if we were presenting a legislative plan to Congress. So through this debate league, I've learned a lot more about how the government works, how it runs, and about how to present an effective plan and consider all the factors that go into making new laws. So that's been great for me and it's helped me develop critical thinking and just a lot of skills I'd like to use when I'm a voting citizen. Well, thank you so much, Simone. You've given me great confidence that the future generations are gonna be in good hands of people like you. To our listening audience, thanks very much for listening to us on Civic Conversations. This is Jim Allison of the League of Women Voters of Bloomington, Monroe County. The League is a nonpartisan, grassroots, citizen-led organization that's fought since 1920 to improve our government and to engage all citizens in the decisions that impact their lives. Next month, I hope you can join us with Congressman Lee Hamilton when we talk about the current status of our democracy. You have been listening to WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Kate Young and Noel Hereski-Schneider in partnership with CATS Community Access Television Services. Civic Conversations is produced by Becky Hill. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Kate Young. For WFHB, I'm Benedict Jones. I'm Noel Hereski-Schneider. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at WFHB.org. Stay tuned for Big Talk, a one-on-one conversation with some of Bloomington's most fascinating people, coming up next on WFHB. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 